to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with the nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome back to the board game community show. Today, we have a very special guest joining us for the one-year anniversary of the show. I am so excited that they're able to be here. Riley Stock, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, you're here every week, and that's cool. I am super proud that I was able to put out an episode a week for one whole year, and thank you to everybody who's listened since the beginning, who's come along who's listened to any amount of episodes, it is really, really cool to have people join in on the fun. And it's been really, really cool being able to interview people almost every week. There's been a couple weeks where like I went on vacation and so I didn't do an episode with a guest, but I just did a community episode. And that was a nice way to also give myself mental breaks in between because editing can be really, uh, wearing sometimes because if you have like a one hour interview sometimes it can take like three or four hours to edit and that is uh yeah that's that can be a lot in the day but totally worth it i'm not complaining at all i chose to do it and it's so fun being able to meet all these cool different people throughout the community For the big one-year anniversary, I decided to ask people how I should celebrate it. And that BG Hot Takes suggested that I interview myself. So we're doing that. And then combining it with at Room Escape Art, which uh, Board Game Hot Takes is Tim from the Board Game Hot Takes podcast. And then Room Escape Art, which is David Spira from reality escape pod so he suggested that i do like a interview or a ask me anything type thing have have people ask me things and i'll answer it on here and i was really happy i was nervous to do that because i thought well what if nobody asks me anything i'll feel like such a loser but plenty of people did ask me stuff and asked me really really good questions This feels like, to me, the community interviews Riley. Uh, And it's actually a lot of, I think everybody who asks questions are past guests. And so that's really cool, too, because it's like, uh, you know, it's like a little role reversal. Well, first, I will do the standard question of, oh, how did you get into board games? A long time ago, I was, like, even as a kid, I would play board games I would play Stratego, uh, some other games, Scrabble. And then we would also make our own games. So like we mixed Scrabble and Stratego and we used the Stratego board and all the letters and we assigned each letter a different ability. 
and you essentially played Stratego on this giant Scrabble board. And then I would like design games of like a link to the past, you know, Zelda. I would make like a paper version of that and cut out a little character that you would move around the board and open chests and have to solve puzzles. And that was really fun. But then I kind of, you know, I, I still played games here and there. I got really into video games for a long, long time. And then in my early 20s, I started hanging out with people and they started doing game nights. And that was really fun. And we would play like Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan, you know, those classic games. There was one. What is that one where you draw? I can't even remember. Telestrations or something. And it's almost like, you know, a telephone where you you have to say something, pass it to the next person. They they try and say the same thing and then go around, but it's it's writing or it's drawing, right? So you each have like your own little thing. It's like, oh, picking up sticks. And then you have to draw that. And then the next person has to try and draw that. Or they write it. <sighs> they write what they think it is and then they pass it around. Oh man, it's been so long. I can't even remember, but that was a lot of fun. I remember that. A lot of party games at that thing. And then from there, I started playing, I started going to like, oh, we played Bang. And I remember playing Bang and really loving that. And I went and I bought it. And still to this day, that bullet that it comes in, I got some deluxe edition or whatever, is still sitting on my shelf. And I have never played it uh, since buying it. But that got me into the doors at my local game store, and I saw Marvel Legendary there. And so I was like, oh, Marvel? I love Marvel, and I love, I'm love. i liking board games. Oh, and it can play by itself. And so I got that, played it with my brothers, played it with myself, played that for years and years until Marvel Champions came out. But really, that's what got me into playing them and starting to buy more and more. Oh, that's really cool. Next standard question, what's your favorite board game? I would probably have to say Spirit Island. I absolutely love that game. I could play that anytime, anywhere, and it's just a phenomenal game. But there's other ones I love, like Marvel Champions. I play that quite a bit. Really enjoy doing that, playing through different characters and building my different decks. Hey, that's awesome. I love those ones too. Well, let's start. I've broken these into two different segments. So there's board game related and outside of board game. And the outside of board game, some of them are sort of related to board games, but more so like related to the podcast. At Fun Organized, that's Phil from the podcast Organized Fun, one of my bestest friends that I've made over the course of doing these podcasts. Yeah. He asked, what would a Riley Meeple be like? Pose, color, holding anything? My first instinct is say, to say it would be red or orange or purple. Those are some of my favorite colors. But in reality, I usually wear a lot of like gray or heather gray. Ooh, that would be cool. A little heather gray meeple. And pose wise, is there a pose for like overly confident, but with like a maybe a little bit of a gut? You know, that would be a good meeple. And holding anything. I don't think uh, I don't think holding anything, just just that an overly confident meeple with a gut. Hi, kitten. Can you hear the cat? That is an organized fun reference right there, and I've got Zoe joining me. All right, at fun organized again, and at Coalition Dice asks a very similar question: If you could live in a board game world, which one and why? 
I have two kind of answers to this. Uh, I think I would really like to live in the Arzium world from Red Raven Games, right? So like near and far, above and below, uh, now or never. I love what Ryan Lockett has created. I love that world. I think the creatures are awesome. He's made beautiful art. Granted, if I was living in it, maybe it would be like a take on me music video type thing where, you know, I'm just living in that artwork style thing. Uh, But I think that would just be like a fantastical world to live in and get to explore. I'm not even going to edit out the cat or anything. I'm just going to let her meow. The other one is a little bit darker, Arkham Horror. And I am sure that I would just get killed. But I think it would be fun to be an investigator and actually get to like investigate these mysteries. But then again, I would I would die. So maybe not. Maybe that one's a little bit of a less want. And of course, there are so many Marvel games. I would love to live in the Marvel universe. And there's a part of me that wants the Lost Ruins of Arnak because that would be fun, kind of being Indiana Jones. All right. At Too Much Enthusiasm, that's Chris from the Board Game Hot Takes podcast. If you could have been the designer of any existing game, what would it be? That's different than your favorite game, more like the game you admire most. And I totally get that question because I've thought that. And sometimes I think it would have been so nice to design something very simple like code names. That game is genius and it's just so well done, easy. You could make expansions to that or add words and it's it's just very straightforward and I think that's very clever. Uh, a lot of games like that where it's just like, wow, this is so simple. Uh, my brain always goes really complicated when I try and design and I'm trying to kind of adjust to maybe try not be so complicated. But another thing might be like a game that I would want to add more to. So like Marvel Legendary would have been a fun one for me to design because then I get to play in that world or Marvel Champions because then you get to just keep playing in that world and keep making expansions for it and adding new content. And I think that would be really cool to just be able to have a living card game or a living game where you just constantly get to add more fun stuff to it. At BG Hot Takes, that's Tim from Board Game Hot Takes, which, you know, this is the second Board Game Hot Taker. Go check out their podcast, Phenomenal Reviews. And I just admire all three of them. They're so great. All right. Has your taste in games changed significantly in the last year? If so, how? And I think due to them, actually, I opened up to a lot more of Euro style games or games that I wouldn't necessarily want to try. Like, I got to try Anachrony the other month, and probably if I ended up buying that game, if I could find it anywhere to buy, I am like 98% sure that would become my new favorite game because I fell in love with that, and I probably would have never really paid it any mind had they not talked it up so much. Same with Lost Ruins of Arnak, which I really, really admire that game. So I guess back when I was first starting this, Tim and I had some interaction on Twitter where I was like, oh, a thematic Euro, there's no such thing. And he gave me some recommendations and that was really helpful to find some actually cool Euros. So I think that I've been more and more open to playing games that aren't necessarily uh, immediately grabbing my attention. And that's probably a large chunk due to board game hot takes to tim and just the podcast overall 
Tim asked again, do you have an aspiration to get one of your game designs published? And if so, what's your plan to get that done? I would love to get a game published. I have not been designing very much lately, though. I've had ideas on games. Actually, today, listening to a board game hot takes episode, I had an idea for like a cool roll and write. I hadn't worked out any details, but maybe I'll play around with that because I've been enjoying roll, or write, uh, roll and writes or flip and writes. It'd probably be more of a flip and write or something. I don't know. But I would love to do that. If so, more than likely, I would just want to self-publish, though that sounds like a lot of work. And I am lazy, so maybe so maybe, uh, maybe pitching would be the best way for me to get it done. But my immediate thought is, well, I don't want to give up creative control. So self-publishing seems like the way to go. At Chandler B22, that's Brian Chandler. What is your third favorite game right now and why? I love that it's not the first favorite game, that it's the third. That's pretty random. So I think that I would have to put Near and Far as my third favorite game by Red Raven Games. I think it's really clever. My wife and I were talking about it the other day and how at first it seemed so intimidating to play it because there was all these components and this board and the map and the rules are really long. But once you start actually playing it, it feels very like uh, it feels very thematic or things tied like mechanics tied to the theme really well. And so it just makes sense what you can and can't do and how things flow that all of a sudden that long rule seems like, well, that wasn't as complicated as it seemed at first. And the theme is beautiful. The art is beautiful. The mechanics are wonderful. Just a great game. And of course, as I talk about it, it makes me want to put it up higher. But th- three is good. It's It's been around in the third spot for a while. At Blue Cube BGs, like board games, but shortened. Chris Anderson, who is the host of the Board Game Workshop podcast. Go check that out, especially if you ever have thought about designing that podcast. I would go and I would work and listen to it while I was working and it entertained me and inspired me on a lot of like getting things done or gave me some expectations on how certain things worked in the industry. Who are the most influential designers to your own game designs? I would have to say Matt Leacock because of his co-op approach, and I really admire that. And I mainly have designed in the co-op space. Rob Davio because Legacy Games. I mean, I think that is just a brilliant idea, and I've kind of been playing around with that. Even before I had played any Legacy Games, I had been playing with something that would be like, well, why can't I do like a campaign that changes throughout? And and I thought that the introduction of Legacy Games was just genius. Eric Lang, because of his tie to theme and mechanics and the brilliance and making combat interesting. I just, I love and admire that. Then I would even go over to other designers, maybe smaller, maybe have done like uh, John Wood. He was my mentor and so very influential. Chris Anderson, who was asking this question. You know, his podcasts really helped to influence me. Uh, Dustin Dowdle, 
he got me into the design community and like, I didn't know that board game designers were a thing. I don't know. I just thought that was like a job that Hasbro did or something, you know, like a position at the Hasbro company. Um, I didn't realize that there were like independent people or just people who would do that on the side. So there's a lot of different people that I would say were influential to me and still are. Chris then asked, what are the most influential games to your own game designs? And I think very similarly, I mean, every game I play, right? Whether I super love it or if I'm like meh about it, I usually take something and I'm like, whoa, what would I do with that? But I would say especially things like Spirit Island, games that I love, co-op games, you know, any legacy game, any pandemic or any co-op game just inspires me to think outside the box or how would I tweak this and make it my own? Again, going back to Marvel Legendary, I had started to design like, uh, you know, in that game, you're essentially recruiting other characters or their attacks and their moves. They're assisting you. I don't, I don't really know exactly who you are in that theme, but in it, I always wanted to be like, well, I should be able to choose what my character is. And then I'm being assisted by these cards I'm playing. And so I think that I should have a character that has an ability. So if I'm Captain America, then I should be able to inspire. And so then I can pay one less to do this or generate this or this combos off of this, essentially giving me some sort of asymmetry, right? Later, that's what I learned it was, was giving some sort of asymmetrical ability to each person that was based on who they were within the universe. You know, I wanted to be able to play as Wolverine, as Deadpool, as Spider-Man, all, you know, all these different people, which is why Marvel Champions ended up just kind of replacing that. And then I stopped working on that little side project of making some asymmetrical abilities that could work for everybody. So probably Marvel Legendary still to this day would be the most influential game because it's really the game that got me thinking about like, how would I do this? And I I started writing it down and spending hours and hours. And then eventually that pushed me to be like, well, why don't I make my own game? And it wasn't even related to that. I was just like, you know, I'm really like this theme, this space sci-fi theme. Why don't I play in that playground? So that inspired me to just design on my own. All right. Chris Barrows at C Barrows. He's the conductor, co-conductor at the Tabletop Express. I absolutely love that YouTube channel. You should go check it out. He asked, you're traveling to the great beyond after saving the world by destroying the great ring of power. For a reason that doesn't matter, you can only take 25 pounds or less of games with you. What are you bringing, Frodo Baggins? I weighed it got really close to 25 pounds. I wonder if I could get to exactly 25 pounds. That'd be tricky. So I put Sagrada. I think that would be a fun, easy one. Nice because you don't have to, you know, if you're traveling, you don't have to uh, have a large area to play it. Welcome to and Cartographers. Those are great because they're a little flipping rights. Again, not a lot of space. And then if I was like at a tavern, I could be the coolest person in the tavern and be like, 
Hello, fellow adventurers and townsfolk. Come, come, play. Welcome to come play cartographers, you know, and the whole tavern would just be drinking and singing some adventuring songs and playing cartographers and welcome to and it would be wonderful. Arkham Horror, the card game. I don't know if I'm traveling alone, but that's when I can play solo. And if people want to play with me, then great. Same with Spirit Island. I mean, it's my favorite game. So, of course, I want to bring that and I can play that solo near and far with the Amber Mines expansion. And that one, again, I could play solo with the Amber Mines expansion or I could play it with people. And it's just a lot of fun. It would almost simulate my journey, right? Like uh, I'm adventuring. Uh, I mean, is this on my, I'm traveling to the great beyond after saving the world. I guess I'm just, yeah, I'm retiring maybe. And that's one of the things I'm taking on my little boat. Uh, and that comes to 24.4 pounds. I'm 0.6 pounds short. I'm sure that I could find something like a small game, like maybe uh, well, the mind is probably less. I could probably grab a couple of those really, really small games, Seven Wonders Duel and some other things. Great question. David Rodriguez from All Games New and Old. Who is a celebrity, alive or dead, you'd like to play a game with and why? Oh, a celebrity. I think that I would go with Kristen Bell because I know she likes board games. And Dax Shepard. I think that would be really, really fun. Or... I've heard that like Jorge Garcia from Lost really likes board games. And I think that somebody else from Lost might have like Charlie or. Oh, man, why can't I? I don't remember who, but, you know, there's those people who it's like, well, realistically, they already like board games. So that would be really fun to play with them. Um, I also think it would be fun to play with certain musicians like Max Bemis of Say Anything. It's one of my favorite bands. Uh, Rivers Cuomo from from Weezer. You know, that was the reason I started playing guitar. So it, using it as an excuse to just meet people who were influential to me growing up. Also, who is a fictional character you'd like to play a game with? I guess also Alive or Dead, but if you say Dead Gwen Stacy or something, I'm going to worry about you. It was Dead Gwen Stacy. Ah, dang it. Uh, I think that it would be, that's a, for some reason that feels even harder. Like a fictional character. I mean, Spider-Man, right? Peter Parker. That would be great. I would like that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, I, I've thought about this before with like Lost, right? If I got to play with with Jorge Garcia, if I got to play with Jorge Garcia and we played the Lost Board game, as bad as I've heard that is, and I've tried to break it out and play it, and it, you know, I, I lose interest. But it would be fun to play something like that, you know, if, and that could be other games as well. Uh, playing Arkham Horror with Jonathan Majors or playing Jumanji with Robin Williams or go to the newer ones and play it with, you know, The Rock and Karen Gillan and. Jack Black. That would be fun. Oh, I would play a game with Jack Black anytime. Probably The Rock, too. Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Why didn't I say Ryan Reynolds? That's another person I would play with. You know, he's fictional. Include him in there. Okay. Outside of board games now, at Zoe Allred, she asked, what's something you thought everyone experienced that you realized was something a much smaller subset of people experienced? 
Zoe asks the hardest questions. Like yesterday from when this airs, I will have done a YouTube show, uh, Board Game Insights, and she'll be on it with me. And I will have to answer a very complicated question, like what is something that board games hasn't accomplished yet that you would like to see accomplished? Essentially, she put it much more elegantly. And I still am struggling with that. I have some ideas, but I'm interested to hear what the other people say too on it. So what I'm saying is, Zoe, ask me easier questions, please. I'm just kidding. This is something. Here we go. Here's an answer. When designing a board game, I always start with the rule book and I'll write like a rule book. You know, I'll I'll start with the components page and then I'll do setup and then I'll do how to play, you know, and start going into segments of and how I think it should be organized. And I do that whole entire rule book. You know, I might have like 15, 20 pages of a rule book written before I ever get it played or start making components or anything like that. And I thought that that was pretty normal because I was like, well, you need a rule book to start. Turns out, no, most people don't do that. Most people hate writing rule books when designing. And a lot of people, you know, contract that out and come to find out that like a very, very small minority of us actually design rule book first. But uh, yeah, so there it is. It, I ended up doing board game related. I'm sure there's other things that I just can't think of right now. Apparently artichokes. I thought everyone loved artichokes, dip it in butter. But no, lots of people hate artichokes. I don't know. Phil from Organized Fun at Fun Organized. The coolest item in your house. I would have to say, you know, I already was nerding out about Lost is my Lost guitar There is minor, minor spoilers here, but Charlie had a guitar on the island and at some point an arrow goes through the guitar neck. And so I own that guitar. You know, it's it's the actual guitar that was on set and it has an arrowhead through the neck of the guitar. And that is the coolest item in my house by far at Resilient. That's Re from SDR Games. If you had to rename an entire species of animal, which would you choose and what would you name it instead? This is a tricky one because I'm not all that scientific, but I know like uh, I had to look it up because I knew roughly what it was. But Canis familiaris, right? Dogs, uh, domestic dogs. And I would rename that to Woofus familiaris because already familiaris is cool. It's like a familiar and then woofus, you know, they, they go woof. Uh, or Felis catus, that's cats, which makes me think like, oh, Felis, Felix, Felix the cat. Anyways, that's a side thing. I'm wondering if that's where his name came from. I would rename cats to furry death machines. At Chandler B22, Brian again, how might you be a better person than you were a year ago as it relates to the podcast? I would say in a lot of ways, podcasting has made it, podcasting has given me the opportunity to talk to people from all sorts of different backgrounds, experiencing all types of different things. And so like, you know, talking to Mick and Starla, where I said something ignorant, and then they helped correct me and just hearing their perspective has, it helped me kind of develop a new train of thought. Um, Talking to Brian, 
colorblind issues. And like my old co-host on Nerding Out, Danny, he's colorblind and he's a painter. He paints miniatures and he paints them beautifully. Dustin Dowdle, his brother, a designer, he designs awesome board games and is colorblind. I worked with him and did security and I had to describe, you know, like, oh, there's uh, somebody in a red hoodie and he'd be like, oh, do you mean like, are they also wearing or does it have like a skull on the back or something like that? You know, like you had to do this different type of descriptions, essentially double coding as I have learned since. Um, And so that was something, you know, the Tanya Pobeda episode was pretty much like an hour and a half of me just getting my mind blown and being like, wow, I can do better in this. I can do better in representation. I can do better at being welcoming. I can do better at standing my ground and being like, hey, no, let's not like (laughs) we need change. So different types of things like that. There, There are so many great episodes where I've gotten to talk about something serious. Zoe Allred, you know, I got to ask her a lot of questions about being trans and her trans experience and learned a lot from that. And so I would say that I have like one year ago when I started this podcast, I was a much worse person than I am now. Not like I was like some bigot or you know, like anti-trans or anything like that. But I just didn't have the same understanding that I have now. Uh, And now I like the pronouns they, them for me, but I also don't, I'm not offended by he or she, and I'll refer to myself as he or she sometimes, but they, them is my favorite, you know, like that kind of growth happened through conversations and learning and self-reflection, which is your next thing. He asks any specific actions, learning, reflection to be even better next year. And so as I'm looking at getting back into designing, Brian was very influential on that and Dusty and being able to look at like all these different kind of challenges that other people might have. So like double coding is a huge thing. Double coding is great for colorblind people. It's also great for other people, you know, color is the first thing you might see, but then symbols and shapes and stuff like that. Um, I might've gotten that backwards anyways. um, But yeah, being aware of different challenges. So making sure that I take steps in designing something that is accessible to as many people as possible. You know, it, it might not be, There's nothing wrong with designing and it might not be able to reach everybody, but if we can make it so that it reaches as many possible people and is accessible to as many possible people as we can, I think that's a step in the right direction. Uh, And then, of course, we've got to keep in mind those other people that it's not reaching and try and develop or design something in that area. The Tanya Pobeda episode really did have me just like, reeling with all these possibilities and i my i still am like processing so much of that information great question and you know when i first read it i was like i do always say i'm a better person than i was last year but a worse person than i will be next year and so i don't even know exactly how i'm going to be changing over the next year but i am aiming to be better you know taking in that new information so that tanya episode is still pretty fresh for me So I think that at this point feels like the most influential. Great question. Chris at Too Much Enthusiasm, right, from Board Game Hot Takes. Who's left on your dream interviewee list? You've had some real doozies lately. 
I have, and I have been surprised by that. So I, when I started the podcast, somebody told me to make a top five list or like a, a dream list of five people I'd love to have on the show. And I chose Eric Lang, Elizabeth Hargrave, Rodney Smith, Will Wheaton, and Becca Scott. And those five are because they were very influential in my board game development. And so those are my five, right? That's the five. That's the movie poster for me. There's a lot of other people that I would love to have on, people who represent more diverse areas of the industry, who represent a smaller set, who have information that people may not be aware of, or just ideas, new ideas. Um, You know, I would also like to do big names like Eric Roos, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. The designer of Spirit Island. I'd love to have Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, you know, (laughs) celebrities. I'd love to have um, MJ Newman on, designer of Arkham Horror, the card game. There are so many different people I would just love to have on and maybe even touch into different industries like, uh, like Christy Pitchford or her husband, Randy Pitchford. They... Christy runs Nirvana Games, which is the like a uh, gearbox makes Borderlands and other great games. And Randy was running that; he was the CEO of that. And his wife Christy runs like the board games fra- uh, segment of it. And I would love to have both of them on. Like I know that they're big video gamers, and and that they actually have game nights and play board games and and stuff like that. So I think that would be fun. There's a lot of different people. And I'm still really open to having so many different people on and bringing different information on. So if you're listening and you want to come on the show and you never have, come on on. Um, I also have some, like I I want to do smaller guests, Uh, not like you're small or anything, but like Jeff Milton and I have talked about him coming on and I still plan on having him come on. Uh, And he's like, well, I don't have anything. It's not like I'm a content creator or a designer or anything. And I'm just like, you know what? You're part of the community. Like have more players on, have just, you know, a bunch of different types of people. I really want a broad spectrum of guests. Anyways, great question, Chris. Got me going on a rant. Uh, Chris Anderson at Blue QBG's, uh, right? Board Game Workshop. Are you doing... (laughs) Are you doing better after your fall down the stairs? I am. Thanks for asking. Everyone else is a bunch of jerks for not asking. They don't even care. No. So the other week, right, I fell down the stairs at a hotel and I still have this pretty gnarly bruise and kind of scrape from it. Uh, But overall, like I'm, I'm a lot better. My wrist is a little sore, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm moving about. I'm I'm good. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Pearl Ho at Cake of Doom Game. What are some of your favorite stories from doing the podcast? Oh, this is a good one. Not from this podcast, but Rob Davio. I always tell that story of, you know, starting the interview and being all excited and nervous because it was my first time interviewing anyone in the industry. And he's like, you know, daddy legacy. And we didn't record. And he was like middle of telling a story that was going so well. And I had to just be like, Rob, I'm so sorry. 
I didn't hit record. And he just like, you know, was, oh, okay. Well, that was just for you two then, I guess, you know, and uh, he's like, we can go over all that again. And then we ended up not going over anything we talked about again uh, because we were just having fun talking about other things. And so that actually was one of the inspirations to doing the board game community show. Cause he was like, I'm having to ask, or uh, he said something to the effect of like, I didn't have my normal well that I could pull from because you were asking different questions. And I thought that was a really fun thing because I know that he's done a lot of interviews and it was cool to have that experience of like, Oh yeah. Like I'm having to, improv here i'm having to come up with new things and that feels nice it it breaks the mundane so i thought why not do that more turns out that danny really was the genius that did all that and me i'm very plain uh (laughs) other than that there's a lot like uh playing zoe allred's game that was so much fun persuasion doing that episode and having a bunch of people on at once playing the actual game talking about it afterwards, editing that. That was a really big adventure. I really want to do another episode like that. I hopefully will do one soon-ish. It's just a timing thing at this point. But that was an absolute blast. There's so many other ones. Talking to PG Law about about her experiences. Well, even just like talking about, oh, I got invited to Snoop Dogg's wet uh, birthday party. Oh, you know, like, and then talking about more serious things like being a female in a work or being a female in a board game store, right? And having people look at you weird and ask you weird questions or whatever. Uh, you know, that was a fun memory. Uh, first time getting to talk to about something a little bit more serious, I think, on the show. Her co-host on the Reality Escape pod, David Spira, getting to just talk shop with him, talking about editing podcasts and podcasting and how he comes up with questions. And and just, you know, a lot of it is like forming these awesome friendships that I can just like reach out and talk to people. Oh, having two guests on my show who met at the Persuasion Gameplay David and Tim ended up meeting up in person and going to an escape room and hanging out in person. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like I introduced you to, I think, I'm pretty sure. And and that was really trippy. I think there was also the expectation of, you know, when I had Elizabeth Hargrave on, when I had Eric Lang on, I thought there was a part of me that was like, I don't know if I want to do big, these big name guests because I'm not going to be make friendships here. Uh, and very selfishly, like I get to interview these awesome people throughout the community, content creators, uh, designers, um, but nobody like super huge in the industry necessarily. Um, and I feel like I'm making friends as I'm doing this. And so I was worried that it would feel very robotic doing it with a big name, but Elizabeth, as soon as she was on before we were even recording, just super friendly, had fun talking after we ended the recording, we still talked for a few more minutes and it was just like, buddy, buddy. Same with Eric Ling. Uh, he so open, so fun. And I, I feel like, you know, if we saw each other at a convention or something, we'd say, Hey, and you know, fist bump or whatever. And, and so that was kind of a, me- an, a newer memory of changed my view of talking to the bigger guests. Like, yes, they talk to a lot of people, but that doesn't mean you can't still have fun with them. And maybe one day, you know, you meet up and just 
play a game at a convention or uh, go grab some lunch or something. Lots of memories. I <laughs> like, I could probably look at every single episode, you know, even just like getting to play Pearl Ho's Cake of Doom. I, I got to play that and that was really fun. Getting to play a bunch of designers, new games. I think this actually will come up in just a minute. I'll talk about that in a sec. We'll move on to the next thing. At Room Escape Art, that's David Spira from the Reality Escape Pod, Reality Escape Podcast, uh, and which is another one of my favorite podcasts. I love listening to it. I've got two episodes because last week was spring break and I didn't get to listen to very many podcasts. So David asked how... Oh. And I'm really excited because David asks some of the best questions I've ever heard in podcasts. And he often gets the reaction from his guests where it's like, wow, nobody's ever asked me that. And so I'm excited to be interviewed by him here for two questions. How have your tastes and relationships with tabletop games changed since you started the podcast? Great question. I play them less. (laughs) joking but serious i don't get to play as many board games because i'm editing podcasts or interviewing guests or setting up interviews uh, and and i don't have as much time to play them but at the same time like i talked about with tim from board game hot takes you know being i started opening up to more and more different types of games that i normally wouldn't have played i would have never chosen to play a flip and write roll and write but now i love welcome to and cartographers i'm open to getting even more i also think that hearing so many different stories from so many different people about how they got into the board gaming world and a lot of them are like Catan, ticket to ride right they had the exact same journey i did we all have a very similar journey of like this is the gateway game that brought me in And I think that tells such a cool story of how an experience from a game can create this this obsession, this hobby, uh, and, and create this community. Like, we all started with those, those, you know, gateway games, and then we've grown, and now we're here in the community, and we're interacting with each other. We're going to huge conventions and playing games at tables with each other, playing with strangers, and it's just, it's been really, really cool seeing that kind of growth and understanding of all these different people from different backgrounds. You know, like, look at David and what he does in his profession. I think he's like a just a genius. That's his job. No, I, he, I think he does something with like web design. Um, oh gosh, now I can't remember. I made another friend who's actually from Jersey who does something very similar. Anyways, he, you know, he does that kind of web research stuff, um, which is very smart. We have Chris, who's a lawyer who sues companies for damaging the environment and then uses that money to go back into repairing the environment and repairing that damage. You've got Adam who from board game hot takes again, who's a pilot. You've got all these different, you know, me, I, I work on soil. I help improve people's soil health and help them grow better crops there's just so many different backgrounds, you know, like you've got mailmen, you've got teachers. I am always so surprised at how many different teachers are in this community and how many teachers become designers. Anyway, it's just like literally 
any type of person can be in this community. And to me, that is so cool and has changed my mind uh, about like changed how I feel about the games and relationships. Um, And then that I could sit down and play with these people, you know, like I'm not that smart of a person and I could sit down with somebody who's really, really smart and have a blast playing a game with them. And it, it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter where we came from. We're able to unite over board games. Uh, and then David also asked, how has interviewing game designers changed the way you consume, appreciate, and feel about board games? Which I think is another really interesting question because as I think about it, and I think about like uh, interviewing Jess Metheringham, who just did Library Labyrinth. That's a game that originally I might not have paid very much attention to. And even though I thought the art was really charming and I think the idea is really good, but then getting to know her and know how like how much effort was put into representation in that game made me appreciate it even more. And if I had stumbled on that game and actually looked at it, uh, if I had managed to like click on it and look through the page, I probably would have backed it anyway. But getting to know all that background information made me really appreciate the effort that was put into that and made it a must for me. Overall, I would definitely say that I back more games because I end up getting to know people and it's like, well, I want to support them. This person is an awesome human being. I want them to design. I want them to be in this world. Oros, Brant Brinkerhoff, you know, getting to know him, playing games with him, playing Oros. I am really excited to get that game. Uh, and I really appreciate his his enthusiasm, his passion about the topic that he's done. And I think, you know, going to stop, drop and roll games with Re and with Lori uh, and, and how they went and they essentially saw a movie that talked about the environment and changing the world in 40 years uh, or 20 years. Oh, shoot. Now I can't remember whatever it was. And then taking that and being like, well, let's make a board game or like. This is something we're really passionate about. We're passionate about making a positive change and and actually implementing some of those changes in the way we make this board game. Uh, and so, it, like, just a ton of respect. I've I have more and more respect for small time designers uh, or independent designers. Or um, you know, I I can go through the list of Pearl Ho. I can. Chris Anderson, uh, John Wood, and just how much effort they actually put into these games, how much passion goes into these games, having an idea, getting it out there. Um, it's its just very fascinating. And, it, and through interviewing, learning about that passion and learning about what other things they're interested in. And I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but it makes me appreciate board games even more because I like to think about Uh, You know, like Elizabeth Hargrave and her games, Mariposas, Wingspan, both of those, you can tell like a lot of passion went into that. Uh, And and so any game that's likely on your shelf, somebody was passionate about something and researched it and made a game. I uh, recently on Reality Escape Pod, they had Matt Leacock on there and that was really cool. And David asked about like how much research he did. And he's like, actually not that much, not as much as you would think. And I thought that was also really interesting because it's like when you're making a game, you don't need to that, that changed the way I thought about something because it was like, 
I don't need to obsess about making this exactly one for one. I need to get the overall theme and then make a good game. And that's more important than making it like a one-to-one comparison of the real life uh, inspiration. That is all the questions. And wow, that filled up pretty perfectly. I'll do my last standard question of what I like to do outside of board games. Lately, playing the Bunkers and Badasses tabletop RPG on Friend Info Adventure Co. We just finished our first arc, so I'm plugging that too. But that has been the highlight of my week every week that we play. And it's just a blast. That game, I love it. Uh, it's it's fun to lead people through that world. One day I would like to be a player, uh, but for now I'm good being the Bunker Master. I play video games. Right now I am playing Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And that's been a ton of fun. I hadn't had my Xbox set up because we, for a month and a half, because of the remodel that we were doing. The remodel is not all the way finished. I hit a wall and just needed to take a break. But everything's functional. Uh, but everything's functional. So, like, our living room is now set up. The floor's there. The baseboards are there. I don't have cabinet doors on all of my cabinets, but the shelves still hold stuff. We can make food in there. Um, I've got my bunny and my guinea pig back in the living room, which is really exciting because they've been kind of stowed away in a side room and I only got to see them like once or twice a day. And now I get to like let them out of their cages more and let them run around um, for hours instead of just like 15, 20 minutes a day, which made me feel like a bad parent. I like doing some outdoor things like hiking when I get a chance. I like listening to podcasts. I like, oh, I love watching good TV shows. I'm so excited for Barry season three to start. I'm going to start getting back into Better Call Saul because this final season is quickly approaching. I, oh, I just finished Our Flag Means Death. You need to watch that. Whoever you are listening to this, that show is great. It's on HBO Max. Uh, Taiko Watiti and Reese Darby. Just phenomenal. That show is like, I, yeah, when we, episode nine, I was just like blown away. I was, I literally like spread my arms out and grabbed my wife and I was just like, what? Oh my gosh. I can't believe that just happened. So if you've watched it, you might know what I'm talking about because I did not see it coming and I was so happy that it did happen. Uh, but, but you, I just didn't expect it to go there. So it was cool. It was cool. Watch Our Flag Means Death. There's there's so many other different shows I'm loving. Moon Knight. I've only seen the first episode. The second episode just came out today, the day I'm recording this. So I will watch that hopefully a little later tonight. Reading occasionally. I usually listen to Audible books, so like fantasy books or sci-fi. I read comic books. I love reading. I've got a decent collection, though I started stopped collecting physical books because I got like Marvel Unlimited, so I can just read books on there. Love reading Spider-Man, Deadpool, Miss Marvel, Ironheart, so many different. I mean, like, go look at my collection there. I don't have any of the Bat. I, I mean, I have a lot of like Batman, Batman and Robin, Nightwing, uh, that kind of stuff, but I don't have the subscription to read DC Comics online. Uh, I'm just a giant nerd. I love playing music. I, you know, most of the time I like to just start strumming around on the guitar, making up songs. The intro to this, I had improvised. And then, you know, like I, I just started playing on the guitar 
singing something and then solidifying exactly what that was and the the whole uh you could be designers or publishers youtubers or whatever you know uh that whole part was improvised and so like then getting that into one or into the order i wanted it to go in which i can never remember now uh (laughs) that was fun to write that to write again i used to perform i used to go and do shows at coffee shops and whatnot and that was fun but i don't miss i i somewhat miss those days but i also don't necessarily miss those days now it's just fun to hang out in a house and play guitar edit point this is the next day and i need to add in a ridiculous theme how can i have a one-year celebration without doing ridiculous theme and I made sure, you know, I didn't, I wasn't stalling for time like I am while I'm talking right now to try and come up with something. I did actually think of something while I was getting ready to record here. A while back, I was playing around with an idea for doing some sort of like clear cards that can stack on top of each other and it would make up a different thing. Like you could make up swords or something. And so you would have these different hilts, different types of blades. And so, you know, you'd have like a dungeon crawler type game where you would get the item pieces and then you would forge them together. And I didn't think that would be possible. And then all of a sudden there was, you know, this little game called Canvas and it did it. And it did it beautifully. It's a very pretty game. And now I'm like, oh, that's a real thing that could happen. And I think that would be fun but take it to another place and have it be like, you know, when you would get those like little paper dolls and then you would cut out clothes for them and, you know, you could dress them up. Why not do something like that with the clear cards? And that could even go into a dungeon crawler type game where you get different gear. So you could have your chest piece and your leg piece and gloves and weapons and whatnot and you like just stack those on top of each other to customize how your character looks but i don't want it to be that i don't want it to be real cool dungeon crawler this is ridiculous theme i want it to be dress up i want it to be fashion maybe you have like maybe you have to accessorize different things like uh, different tops and different pants or dresses or skirts or boots and all that different stuff Uh, It would be kind of a cool thing, you know, like a little project runway or something. There you go. Ridiculous theme. Edit back into whatever I recorded yesterday. I think that's it. Now we won't even have like an outro outro. I don't have to record it separate. I'll just do it here. So thank you so much for listening to the Board Game Community Show. You can follow me on Twitter at RyledNerd. You can email me, theboardgamecommunityshow at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the show, go rate it on Apple Podcasts, uh, write a review. That helps the show get seen. If for some reason this is your first time listening, just listen backwards from here or go through and pick out guests that look interesting to you. There are a ton. There's a lot of guests on this show that have been a lot of fun, and I'm sure that you'll recognize at least one of them and start there. I also highly recommend the Tanya Pobeda episode because I think that was just transformative and was, and I'm very excited. It has become, I, and I was pushing really hard for this because I think it's the most important episode I've done, but it has become the most listened to episode that I have had on this show, which I am immensely proud of because uh, I am immensely proud of that episode. And I think Tanya is just doing 
phenomenal work. Anyways, I could gush about that all day. Yeah, listen to Friend and Foe Adventure Co. It's a more explicit podcast. It's an actual play of the Bunkers and Badasses. That's the Borderlands RPG. We do our own little story there. A lot of it's improvised. Sometimes I plan something for an episode and then they completely go off on their own thing. And I'm like, cool, cool. So that has been fun. Yeah, we just finished our first arc. So one episodes one through seven tell the whole story of what's going on in there. Uh, and then the story will continue. There will be more to it. I'm really excited. Uh, the next episode is exciting. And I'll just say what it is because we had Ian, Ian Moss, who was the lead designer on Bunkers and Badasses. And I got to be the bunker master for him. Uh, his first time ever playing as a player. He's, all, you know, he's a BM forever, a forever BM. And so that was really fun to have him uh, play with us. I'm excited to get that edited and out. I don't think that there is anything else. So until next week, keep nerding out. I'm kind of torn between two fond memories here. So I'll just share them both. One, pandemic seasons one and two, my wife and I just staying up until like 3, 4 a.m. playing. It, it essentially gave us that like you know, when you're binging a TV show and you're like, one more episode. That's exactly what we were doing with seasons one and two of Pandemic. One more game, one more game. And we ended up playing three or four more games and it was spectacular. It just gave us a rush. So that is a very fond memory because it was a really fun time for both my wife and I. Second one is just playing games with my grandma and grandpa when they were alive. Every time we would go over, it was, you know, they were always ready and wanting to play games and they were you know older older games right like dominoes or shanghai rummy Uh, they had other games that were kind of like sorry but it wasn't sorry it was like this really nice board that was like burned right like wood burning is how they made the board and it was a beautiful presentation but that was a fun one and instead of using dice you used cards and so you had like a selection of cards i can't even remember what that game was called but it was like sorry but you just had like three a hand of cards that you used to move about the board so i just look back at that and every time i see or hear a card shuffler like an electronic card shuffler i think of my grandpa because he had those and you just split that deck put it in there and press the middle. And it's just like, and shuffles them together pretty nicely. Uh, and, and also he would always do certain things. Like we would be playing Rollum, which is now I, oh, what do they call it now? Farkle, I think is what they call it, but we'd be playing that Rollum and he would roll something and he'd go, Oh, one, two, two, seven, or not a seven. He would go one, two, two, five, six, Look at that. And he would act like it was something and it wasn't. And so I still to this day will do that. When I play cards, sometimes I'll go like, oh, looky what I got. Ace, three, five, eight. <laughs> you know, like all cocky like and, and it's nothing. Mm-hmm.